Welcome back. Welcome in. Welcome back, listeners, to an un- another episode of the Under the Dome podcast. Um, I think I'm stumbling over my words because I'm I'm pretty excited that we have Notre Dame football to talk about, and not only just Notre Dame football, but a game to talk about coming up here Sunday night um, as Notre Dame kicks off their season Sunday night in Tallahassee, Florida against Florida State. We're going to talk a little bit about that game, a little bit about Notre Dame just in general, where they are as a program entering into uh, you know, the 12th season under Brian Kelly and all of that good stuff. So uh, if you're new here for me, it's at real B Belden on Twitter. You can search us all over YouTube for the audio version of the podcast, anywhere you can find podcasts, all of that good stuff. Um, all of that out of the way, you know, I wanted to get that out of the way quick, but what I'm really excited about is, you know, that I am joined by the only Nick Shepkowski. Uh, Nick, how are you this evening? I'm good. How are you, Ben? I'm doing good. You know, anytime you get to this time of the year and there's Notre Dame football to talk about in terms of, you know, there's going to be a game soon. Um, that's that I, I don't even have the words necessarily to um, to quantify how excited I am, just given where everything is in the world and what we missed out on. And, you know, I've got I'm going to go out to South Bend a couple times this year. So really just the whole thing has. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I think everything we went through in the last year, year and a half, even the weirdness of last year, as great as last year was, Notre Dame knocks off the number one team in the country, goes to the, the college football player for the second time in three years. As great of a season as it was, it was in a way unfulfilling because it's in you're playing in front of a third full Notre Dame stadium. At, at times, a Boston College game, I know there are some others too, completely empty stadiums with no fans around. It just felt weird. It felt off, even as good as the football might have been. It's nice to get back to some more normalcy, and I, without getting too deep into anything, so let's just hope it stays that way. Let's just dive right into it then, okay? I kind of have, you know, listeners or Nick or anybody that has ever listened to this podcast before. One of the things that I always kind of harp on and, and what I talk about is, you know, the state of the program and in terms of, you know, where we've been, um, where Notre Dame is going, what they have to do to, I don't know, raise the floor, raise the ceiling, punch through the glass, whatever matter you want to um, those are the things that I talk about. And so that's, uh, you know, when I had plans to kind of get on here and 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 talk tonight, I, I plan to talk about some of those things. And um, I'm just curious, Nick, to get your opinion about um, having not really, I mean, spoken to you before um, person to person about what you feel like and where you feel this Notre Dame program is. And then I guess kind of based off of what you say, I'm going to sort of give give mine as well, but really kind of turn it over to you on a very open-ended, you know, where do you see Notre Dame as they enter the 2021 season? um, And what can they do throughout this season that makes you feel really good about the program going forward? Well, I think that Brian Kelly was right back at the end of the Rose Bowl when Alabama dominated that game. Maybe a game wasn't as close as the scoreboard indicated, but he said at the end of it, and I know it riled a lot of people up, it ticked a lot of people off, that he said that, oh, we don't have necessarily a big game problem. We have an Alabama problem. And you look across college football, that's what college football has right now, is an Alabama problem. College football has an Alabama and a Clemson problem, essentially. Show me the teams that have figured out those. Ohio State, okay, because they beat Ohio, beat Clemson last year. And they were competitive with them, should have won the game against them a year before. Um, LSU one time had, it took historically maybe the best offense in the history of college football in order for them to pull that off. So he was right about that part of it, I think. I think that there is that significant gap. And I think that Ohio State, Oklahoma are knocking on the door of kind of joining those two when it comes to Alabama and Clemson. Can Notre Dame, what has Notre Dame done to close the gap, to be in that conversation of the truly elites? And, I mean, it's Alabama, if we're being honest. It's Alabama, and then it's a gap, and then it's you, you start the conversation with the rest. I think the, the, the state of college football, at least looking at, at the way things sit in 2021, entering 2021. But Notre Dame's in that conversation of maybe not that second tier of the Ohio States quite yet. I don't think anyone looks at them and says that, oh, the Irish are a true championship contender this year. But 
I, they have a lot of things going right for them. They win games they're supposed to win. There's a lot to be said for that. And it's an ex- it's the healthiest this program has been in 25 years, which is a lot to say. I mean, you're looking at a quarter century where things haven't gone this well. It's just, can they get over that hump? What still needs to be done to get over that hump? And you look at things, when you look at the, the, the state of this roster, the state of the way they've been able to recruit, develop players, I, I would argue that really this roster, okay, you lose Ian Book, which all-time winning as quarterback in, in school history and program history, but depth-wise, I mean, you're looking at 1 through 40, 1 through 45 on this roster, it's as good as Kelly's had in his 12 years at Notre Dame, I think. Yeah, and I, I kind of think what you're saying is sort of, you know, kind of what I was getting at. I agree with you and everything you said. I've been a, um, dare I say, a Brian Kelly apologist, I guess you could kind of say, um, over the years. Um, I really think Notre Dame fans, for, by and large, don't really understand how um, how good they've had it over the past, um, you know, 2016 excluded, I guess. Um, and, you know, to me, you know, I wrestle with this, that, you know, part of me is kind of like, you know, the Brian Kelly apologist, everything's good, rainbows and bunny rabbits. But the other part of me kind of just thinks, man, it feels like we've reached this point where, you know, 10 wins or whatever, whatever you want to say is our floor for the most part. And, um, it, it just feels like we've been there for a very long time. Now, if you look at other metrics, I mean, the recruiting, um, you know, I love the freshman class that they have on campus right now. Um, obviously the class of 2022 is shaping up really well. And beyond that, you know, you can, uh, you, you get my point. Um, so, you know, those other metrics point in the right direction. It's just, when do, you know, we got the win against, uh, Clemson last year, but when does it come to a point where, you know, in a college football playoff, we at least get to the championship game, maybe even before we win it. So there's a little bit of a concern with me, I guess. And, you know, I don't know that this is particularly the year that I'm going to go out on a limb and say Notre Dame is going to win a championship. But I think what I would say that I'm looking for throughout this year is that, you know, to me, the biggest difference between, you know, put Alabama and then maybe even Clemson into a, a category by themselves for Notre Dame to be the best. Um, it's the depth thing that you kind of alluded to. Um, it seems like for Notre Dame to get to, you know, the next step, it seems like Notre Dame has had, you know, 22, 25, 26 guys always that are pretty darn good at football. And I feel like to get to the next step, it needs to be more like 35, 40 type of guys that are, you know, really good at football. I think back to the Clemson game in the Cotton Bowl a couple years ago when Julian Love down, it was just all heck broke loose right after that. So, um, whereas if that happens to a Clemson or an Alabama, they just put in the next five star recruit and there's not much of a drop off. So I don't know. As, as I look at this season, I think what, I want to see more than anything is guys like Riley Mills, uh, Lorenzo Styles, um, maybe Deion Colsey. We'll see. Um, and some of these other guys, underclassmen that are, you know, on the two deep in there, Chris Tyree to really make a, a big impact because to me, it's developing that two deep depth um, that, that really gets us to the next point I, as, as Notre Dame fans, I guess, gets the Notre Dame football program to the next point. Um, and I'm curious to, I, I don't know, uh, to see if there's other things that you have to add to that or not. Yeah. I, I think that's a huge part of it because it's, it's, you look at the state of the truly elite programs. I'll throw Ohio state in there. They deserve to be in that conversation. Went to the title game last year and it is okay. Injury to a five-star cornerback goes down. All right, here's another highly, highly, highly touted four star that goes right in. And, and the difference of the two players isn't that significant. And, and it's, I think that the Julian love um, injury that happened in the cotton bowl, I think that spoke to all of it. The Dante Vaughn comes in, he gets targeted right away. You blink and three possessions later, all of a sudden it's, Oh boy, this is a, uh, you're getting your, you're getting run out of the building by Clemson in that game. And it just spoke to the lack of depth compared to the big time programs that Notre Dame had there. Also, I think that the difference is when, when you kind of look at it, you have to, and I, I'm an Ian, like you were saying, you were a Brian Kelly apologist. I was an Ian book apologist for a very long time. 
but you can't tell me that there wasn't a difference of when Notre Dame went to the big-time games, that there wasn't a difference in quarterback play in that. And that's not the knock on Ian Book whatsoever. I mean, he played the game of his life, and he was the number one player reason that Notre Dame was able to upset Clemson last year. But when he played against the healthy Trevor Lawrence, you saw the difference in quarterback play. When he played two years ago against Jake Fromm, not that Jake Fromm's any great shakes in the NFL, but you saw the difference in being able to compete, complete the ball down the field with regularity versus not being able to with the offenses in that game. Uh, same thing kind of worked out in the Alabama meeting. Saw Mac Jones perform at a high level. Sure, it's easier to do that when you have three first-round picks or whatever he's throwing to in that game and, and books throwing to who books throwing to. But I, I think that there's another part of a big difference there, and I am curious I, to see how 2021 comes around not to say that I'm sitting here saying that Tyler Buckner has to play and any of that part of it, but he is the most highly touted recruit at the quarterback position that the Irish have had in quite some time. How much of a gap can that close, not necessarily in this season, but in the seasons to come of kind of bridging that gap between the elites, the truly elites, the top tiered programs and where Notre Dame is, which might be close, but close is a relative term when you kind of say that. Sure, sure. So segue off of that question, then uh, you you mentioned uh, Tyler Buckner's name in the future in terms of, you know, taking the the quarterback position and its playmaking to the next step. Uh, is Jack Cohn going to be a step from what you kind of I mean, the way you kind of talked about Ian Book just now? Well, I, that's the thing. They're just different in that cone. I think you're gonna be able to stretch the field more, which will be nice. But what happens when your players, when your receivers aren't creating separation? You saw that a lot with, with Notre Dame's receivers in recent year, last year, a lot of the time, that it wasn't necessarily that there was a whole ton of separation and Book was able to, part of it was because there was a dominant offensive line, a great offensive line that he played behind, but his athleticism as well allowed him to be able to tuck the ball, run, and I swear he never, he always dove and fell forward for an extra two to three yards. It, it just was, it every stinking time he carried the ball, it seemed like that's the way that that happened. Now, Cone's not going to be the same thing. Cone's strengths are, are, are in a different place. Being able to throw the ball downfield, now are the receivers. Are you going to have this senior class of receivers that for the most part, I mean, Avery Davis was a nice, nice story last year. Obviously makes the huge catch against Clemson and the huge catch to, to set up his eventual game tying touchdown against Clemson in that game. He was a great development. Can he take another step? Kevin, can Kevin Austin finally stay on the field for an entire season? If those, the answers to those questions are yes, then I'm real curious and I'm real excited to see where this offense is in the fact that it'll be a lot more vertical looking than we've seen here in recent years of it being the two tight end sets, heck sometimes three tight end sets and just pound the ball and, and hit you in the face type of thing and Cohen allows for that and, and allows for that possibility. And then kind of is that transition quarterback to the Buckner of what Notre Dame's offense might be a year from now, two years from now. Yeah. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head with everything you said. One thing that I always thought that it, I feel like I got swept under the rug after the, after the last season was it seemed like when the season ended and you watched Alabama read option us to death, um in in that game it kind of you know it felt like kelly and reese and staff were kind of alluding to you know going to more of that type of an offense and you know i'm obviously not at practice every day i don't i don't know and i know that the reporters that are aren't going to come out and be like oh my gosh notre dame is running the read option um the run pass option i guess is really what i should say um throwing more rpos out there um and I'm curious to see if that happens more because I think that's where the offense goes under Buckner for sure. Um, I have no idea if Cone has those capabilities. We know he's not the runner that Ian Book was, but I don't think you necessarily have to be um, to, to to run the POs the way that uh, you know we saw so many teams run against Notre Dame. That's what I'd like to see. I don't know that we'll see it in 2021, um, but you know I listened to a plethora of other Notre Dame podcasting this point has been made that you know there's also the point that Tommy Reese was taking over as an offensive coordinator in a pandemic season um he is a young offensive coordinator obviously it was his first offensive coordinator job let's see what he does you know full he's in the spring that's normal and all that type of stuff before you really tar- start to say like let's make wholesale changes I guess um 
So I don't know. I, I don't, uh, I don't know what to expect from this offense. I think it's going to be a good offense, but I just don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know. I like Jack Cohn as kind of like a one year rental. I like, you know, what he's going to bring to this program, even if he's just quote unquote, a holdover or whatever you want to call him. Um, but I don't know. I just still have questions and I guess those start to get answered Sunday night. Um, and you know, and then the other part of that is I hope the line's good enough for it all to even matter. <laughs> so um, I, I don't know. Those are my major concerns and, and things that I'm looking for. One, I want the line to be good. I want to see what's different or the misdirection in the offense comes from. Yeah. I think it all starts with the offensive line, like you said there. And it's at the point where it's all right, is Notre Dame rebuilding an offensive line or are they simply simply reloading it? And I know that, Blake Fisher gets a ton of praise, and understandably so. Kid turns out 18 years old, shows up, and is going to be the starting left tackle at offensive line, O-line university. Like, that doesn't just happen. There's a reason that he's only the second true freshman to start at the tackle position uh, since Notre Dame started playing football, or at least since they kept started keeping track of such things. Um, he He's a freak, but he's still a freshman at the end of the day. And I thought that it was a godsend in a way when Caden Madden announced that he was going to attend Notre Dame, because I know some people out there don't buy that he was an all-American level player last year. Marshall, look at his opponents, the strength of his opponents, and hold that against him compared to what's going to happen when you play against some of the Power Five on with regularity week in, week out, like Notre Dame is going to do. But to me, where the difference comes in is, okay, you now have an offensive line that you can argue all the things about Madden that you want in that right guard position, but you have a guy that at worst is pretty dang good player that you're being considered there. You're not starting two freshmen on your offensive line, two true freshmen on your offensive line with Rocco Spindler. And that's not that any knock on Rocco whatsoever. You watch his highlights, you watch his strength, even in the blue gold game this past year, he doesn't look like an 18-year-old. That looks like a guy that you could say is 20, 21 years old for his strength. His strength, his body type already plays at the highest of college football le- levels, which I, that's a ton to say about him to that. But I think it just gives you peace of mind. If you're Tommy Reese, if you're Jack Cohn, if you're Brian Kelly, and you're looking at this offense, not to have two starters on your offensive line that haven't played a down of competitive college football yet, I think that that's a huge benefit to this team. I am curious what the what the makeup of this line is going to be. Obviously, injuries come into it as the year goes on. You hope that none of those come true or none of those end up playing out. But all things considered, what is this offensive line going to look like now? What's it going to look like when the Virginia Tech game or so comes in mid-October? Is it still going to be the same five guys that are out there? And I'm saying that without the injury concerns. Is someone going to play themselves out of a spot? Is somebody going to play themselves into a spot? potentially there because I think that that's where just because it's set now I'm not so sold that it's going to be set here for a month a month and a half from now let's flip to the defensive side of the ball real quick and then we're going to get to a couple of my uh my hot takes that I'm ready to to get your excited to get your reaction about so before we do that like I say defense um you know what uh obviously bring in Marcus Freeman okay a lot's been made about that especially on the recruiting standpoint and what he's done in that uh aspect of the program but he hasn't coached a a down in Notre Dame Stadium other than the blue and gold game yet um you know there's been the whole thing where people thought that Brian Kelly named him the head coach and and obviously I that wasn't true and Brian Kelly was asked about it and flat out said no that's not what I meant and uh but regardless there's a ton of hype around this guy and there's a ton of hype around what you know similarities and differences there's going to be between um you know the type of defense and the aggressiveness of the defense and the pass rush and the blitzing and all of that type of stuff. What are you looking for from this defense and how do you expect it to, to be different from what we've seen from Notre Dame defenses past? Yeah, I, I fell for the Brian Kelly comment too, because I saw it on my show up on my Twitter feed, listened to it, then went and found the full interview, listened to it and was still confused by it. And, didn't get the clarity that some people thought that it was written crystal clear. I was like, well, he said the next head coach, I, it's his word. That's what it sounded like. So I had another story for another day, I suppose though, but the, the excitement that comes around with Marcus Freeman, it, it's evident you hear him speak and it's just, maybe it's the youth. Maybe it's being only what 34, 35 years old. I forget his exact age, but I, he's full of energy and you can't help but notice 
when he speaks, he's probably speaking the same way, if not more energetically, to recruits that are coming in. And recruits feed off of that. You, you're around that guy, you hear him speak enough, you want to be around him more. It's obvious. It's just one of those people that you have them in your life. There's people that you hear talk, and you can't wait for them to stop speaking, and you can't wait to go on with your day and get away from them. There's people that you hear speak that you feel like, oh, my God, I can take over the world if I'm around this person regularly. Marcus Freeman seems like he's largely that kind of guy. Wow, this is an empowering young man. I want to play for this guy. He's going to get the best out of me. He makes me excited me to show up to practice, to show up to workouts, to every part of it. And that's, that's, that's part that excites me about it. In terms of what this defense is actually going to look like this year, it's interesting kind of seeing his philosophies or hearing his philosophies on things. It sounds to me like there's going to be a ton more man coverage, which excites me in a way because I think that it leads to possibly being, it lends Notre Dame to being able to recruit bigger time defensive backs. Yes. Kyle Hamilton was a five-star recruit. Show me where the other, I know Houston Griffith was a big recruit in terms of the rankings. But show me where your big elite corners have been here recently for this team in terms of, of being able to bring that talent in. You go out and you say that you're going to play a ton of man coverage and you're able to show off your skills, that's going to speak to the upper tier four stars, the five stars that are out there. Well, that's a guy that I want to go play for. Oh, you're going to have some of the best linebackers or one of the best defensive lines in the country that's, that's going to force quarterbacks into bad decisions and, and throwing a ball quicker than they wanted to and lead to more interception numbers. Well, if I'm a 16-year-old, 17-year-old, that's going to speak to me. I don't know if the personnel's there right now to be able to survive on a ton of man coverage, uh, defensive back-wise. I, I know that Hamilton is great. Kyle Hamilton's probably going to be a top five, maybe, probably a top 10 for certain, maybe a five, top five pick next year. The guy's a freak. He's as good of defensive back as you've seen at Notre Dame in quite some time. I mean, years and years, decades and decades that are there. But there are questions at literally every other defensive back position on this team. Houston Griffith, as great as we've heard his fall's been, the heck his spring was after he announced that he was going to stay after entering the transfer portal, still hasn't seen the field a ton for a guy that's going into his fourth year here on campus. You look at the cornerback situations, and do you feel great about Anything going on at the cornerback position? I don't necessarily. I think that it's corners that are built to survive and kind of get by based on what everything else in front of them defensively is able to do. I don't necessarily look at them and be like, oh, my God, there's lockdown players on this roster. There's not. There's lockdown players in the secondary. I don't see it that way. So I'm real. If there's a reason for concern or if there's something that's, that is a concern to me with this defense, that's where it starts and it's where the biggest part of the conversation is. Yeah, I, I definitely echo what you're saying in terms of the cornerback position for sure. I mean, you look at the two guys that are going to start at corner. I mean, Clarence Lewis, I mean, not that stars mean everything, but he was a three-star recruit. <laughs> so uh, they got on the field a little bit as a freshman and now hopefully is, you know, I don't know. You know, you get my point. And then the other one well, came I mean, hard. Look at it like, 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 look at it last year. Like Nick McLeod, was Nick McLeod great shakes? No, he goes undrafted. He signs the free agent deal with the Bills after being undrafted. Right. But imagine this team without Nick McLeod last year. Like oh, that, man. he was a huge part of that secondary a season ago. And it's not to say like, oh my God, put Nick McLeod in the Hall of Fame or Nick put Nick McLeod and have him as the next All American or anything. He didn't play at that level. But just think of what replacement level was probably after him if he does not decide to transfer to Notre Dame last year. Right. And then, you know, on top of that, if, you know, Clarence Lewis or uh, Cam Hart goes down, who are you playing after that? That's my biggest concern. It's, you know, I mentioned the the Cotton Bowl with Julian Love earlier. I mean, you're looking at a similar type situation, depending on who you're playing against. Uh, if, if one of those guys happens to go down, I'm going to knock on the, the wood desk that I'm sitting at and just hope <laughs> that, that doesn't happen. But I mean, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. It part of me just, I ease myself into thinking, well, the defensive line's really good. There's going to be more aggressive blitz packages and things that, that are going to get home more often. They don't even sack the quarterback very often last year. I mean, with as good as their defense was, and I know the team's game plan for it, and they, you know, plan short throws and three-step drops and those types of things because Notre Dame was good uh, in the pass rush. Uh, so there's something to be said about that as well. But 
you know, I, I think they're going to get home a few more times this year. I, I say that, I, I don't know. That's part of going to be one of these hot takes that I'm going to throw at you here in a second. But, um, and so, you know, I hope that that's, I hope that's the cover all for, for what we're both kind of talking about here. But I think we're, we're kind of in agreement um, that we're nervous about the cornerback position. So, all right. Um, I told you off air that I was going to throw some of these hot takes at you. You, yeah, I'm curious how hot they are. I mean, it's a, uh, you're, you're telling me up. Warmer. Like, <laughs> they get warmer as they, they go. I'm, just, I'm curious how, how hot we're going to get here with some of these. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see, you know, as I was typing them out and planning for them earlier, I was like, you know, one of them was and Then I had to like walk it back a little bit. So we'll see how they, uh, at least lukewarm takes for the, for the 2021 okay. season. Um, I've got, how many do I got? Six of them. Okay. So we'll just kind of rapid fire these and then we'll, we'll kind of call it a day. But, uh, the first is very lukewarm. So Notre Dame passed for about 237 yards per game, which was about, um, 2,850 for the season. Um, my take is like, like I say, this isn't a scorching hot take is that they pretty well blow that out of the water in 2021. What say you? Yeah, I, I don't know what necessarily the definition of blowing it out of the water would be, but I'd expect it to be higher. Sure. I think your running game is not going to be as strong based off of your offensive line, what graduates, what goes to the NFL there. Not to say the offensive line is going to be like a weakness, like some people nationally have it just falling off the face of the earth because, because Jeff Quinn has now only coached. Harry Heastand hasn't coached the guys that are on the roster now, so it's just going to fall off the face of the earth even though – you know, it seems like they developed for a few years pretty well under Quinn. Um, I don't think it's going to be as dominating, though. I, you lose four guys to the NFL, It's it, yes, it's going to be tough to replace that. And I also don't necessarily think that the game planning is going to be that way. I think it's going to be more open to some of the things you were talking about there with Tommy Reese, that, okay, you have a quarterback that seemingly can put the ball downfield. Why not take advantage of that a bit more? I, let's not forget Ian book was one of the best runners on this team a season ago, last couple of seasons with this team. And as great as Kyron Williams was, and as great as Chris Tyree was in his first, first campaign, Ian book was an extremely valuable runner there. I don't think they want to use Jack Cohen the same way because Jack Cohen's not built to, to produce the same way. So as a result, make up those yardage yards that he's not producing on the ground through the air I can't help but think that, yeah, that, that, that number of 237 per game, pass yards per game goes up and up significantly somewhere closer to to 280s, 290s. Heck, north of 300, I, I would say a lot more pass yards. Oh, yes, I'm fully on board with you there. Yeah. Yeah, I just think, to your point, you're going to get far more pass attempts. At the very, very minimum, you're just going to get more pass attempts because Jack Cohen's going to, let a rip in a way that Ian book just didn't necessarily do it for good or for better or for worse. So moving to the next one. Um, I did not really realize this. This is also pretty lukewarm. Um, and then I promise they get, they get hotter after this, but I did not realize the stat until I started kind of preparing for this. Um, did you realize that Notre Dame lost the turnover battle on average in, in their games last year? No. Was this something I, I would that, not that, have guessed that at all. Uh, unless I'm crazy, unless I was looking at something wrong, they, they gave the ball away a time 1.4 times per game and had just less 0.9 takeaways per game. Um, which really, which really struck me. Nobody on the, on the, um, on the defense had more than one interception last year, which was another thing. Hamilton only had the one in the ACC championship game. Right. That's right. So I think it, if what this def- if this defense looks like what I think it will, I think it goes without saying that that's at least flipped this year to a point where I think wins the turnover margin on the season, um, and that they'll average at least one point five takeaways per game, if not two. I think the aggression part you're going to see a lot more aggression out of Marcus Freeman. I know we touched on that a little bit um, when, when we scouted the defense and some of just the schemes and what they're going to do. I think they will be a lot more aggressive. So I think that will lead in turn to, you were talking about sack numbers earlier. I think that'll lead to more sacks eventually. I think it does lead to more turnovers. I also think it leads to being beat a few more times. So sure. I, maybe I guess the crazy hot take that I would have from it would be that I think you're right that the turnover number goes up, that Notre Dame forces more turnovers 
But even in doing so, my guess would be that their points per game allowed goes up as well. Despite getting the ball, taking the ball away more. I think there's more risk, more reward, but I think that risk is going to come back to bite them a little more often um, than than it did a season ago. But they also may get more possessions off of it and account for higher scoring games along the way. Right. And the other part that I kind of was, when I was writing, made this a little bit more of a hot take is that I'm making the case that I think Notre Dame wins the turnover margin. I also think there's a very, very good possibility that they turn the ball over a lot more, maybe not a lot, but a little bit more than they did last year. Just get your quarterback is. And like I say, I don't always think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, there's something to be said for taking a shot and it just doesn't work out. And then you're, aggressive defense goes goes right back out and takes it right back maybe i don't know but you know i think you, i think notre dame turnover margin again you know like i say this is these are the i waffle on this because i i don't know there's a lot of questions with this notre dame football team i think it's the bottom line uh and, and kind of the theme of this uh of this podcast at this point okay all right this is where things get a little bit more warm all right okay um ben skoranek led the team in receiving touchdowns last season with five. Okay. I think we will have somebody exceed five. And I think that guy is Kevin Bauman. He will lead. That's a heck of a thought. Yeah. That's an interesting one. I thought for sure when you said that and we're setting that up, I thought, okay, well, this is, he's going to set up Michael Mayer and it's going to be Michael Mayer's step from fantastic freshman to all world sophomore. Uh, there had to have been no no player on the team that who had more receptions go for first downs, I would guess, last year than, than Mayer did. Bauman's an interesting one because in just about any other year, you bring him on campus and it's, oh my goodness, look at this star tight end that you brought in. Instead, he comes in, in the same class as Mayer and he gets almost forgotten about a year ago. I, he gets spoken about like he is a real threat, um, obviously, in the red zone, in converting first downs a passing option to get to that's, that's a heck of a take on it. I mean, I was, you went from very lukewarm, cool waters almost <laughs> with your first two takes to, I don't want to say that this one's like, Oh my God, it's going to burn your hand. It's going to burn your part of your body. But that's, that's more than lukewarm. Like that's it's a significant step there. I do think that somebody <laughs> has to emerge. I don't know if it's necessarily Bauman. Can he go from playing as little as he did a year ago to, to all of a sudden being a red zone target like that and being reliable, um, being a red zone target like that. I don't know if I'm ready to take quite that leap with him. I'm with you though, that, that someone's scoring more than five touchdowns receiving wise this year. I mean, it's, it's kind of insane. Like McKinley last year leads the team in receiving yards and he only score. He scored three touchdowns against Syracuse and that's it for the entire season. That's the only times he got in the end zone, which is kind of a bizarre just by chance, I don't know why exactly that was. Somebody's got to score more than five touchdowns, though, receiving wise, especially if you're throwing the ball as much as I think you and I think that they're going to. Uh, I don't know if I can get on board with it being Bauman. That'd be a heck of a story if it is. I who would I take the, to the lead Notre Dame in actual touchdown receptions? I I think if I look at it, I not going to go the tight end route, but then which receiver do you necessarily feel comfortable about? that's going to go out there and put up the big numbers or big receiving numbers in that right. sense. Like everybody kind of has that flaw with it. It's will Austin stay on the field. Um, you're going to count on Avery Davis to do that out of the slot. I don't know. I I'll say this. Here's here's what my guess is. And because Brian Kelly gets a lot of heat about this, and any of his offensive coordinators do. I won't say that one, I won't say who the player is that, that goes and scores five touchdowns, but I do think that freshman receivers this year, freshman targets, I should say this year, just to throw them all in there, combined to have more than five touchdown receptions, whether that's oh, Colsey, wow. Styles, whichever it might be. Heck, maybe it's in, in blowout fashion. Maybe you get Logan Diggs in an end zone. Um, mm. in there at some point this year, I will say that five that, that that freshman, true freshman players, combined to score more than five touchdowns, five, five receiving touchdowns, I should say, uh, this season. I like that. Yeah. So really, you kind of 
you sort of explained why I was picking Bauman <laughs> for to a certain extent. I mean, I think teams are going to key on Mayer. Which mm-hmm. uh, which receiver is really the one that's going to be the red zone threat? You'd like to say Kevin on, but you just can't yet. I mean, for better, I, I don't know. And so, you know, if you go to a, a two tight tight end set, I could, and really the reason I guess that I was picking Bauman was that I think he could potentially have just one game where for like, for some reason he just gets like three touchdowns or something like that. And then scatters three or four more through the other 11 games or something like that. Now I really hope that whoever's leading Notre Dame in touchdown receptions has more than five or six. I mean, but if it's a situation where, you know, it's very evenly spread out, I could see him being near the top just because he's going to be the, and, and it's great to say this, I guess, but he's going to be the least, I don't know, the the most overlooked weapon that Notre Dame has on offense if he's on the field, I guess is kind of the way to put it. I almost said Kyron Williams will lead the team in touchdown receptions, but I thought that was, uh, that was too much. Anyway. So, all right, I'm going to, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to drag this too long. So let's get to the other couple real fast. Okay. So, um, straight up, I'm just going to say Houston Griffith will lead Notre Dame in interceptions this year. I like it. People stay away from Hamilton. You saw that last year. I know Hamilton battled through yep. some, some injuries with his ankle and playing through pain with his ankle. And then you had the ridiculous, uh, ejection against North Carolina that cost him a half right. as well. So I would not as good as Hamilton is, obviously I think it's like the Harrison Smith thing. By the time Harrison Smith had his last year at Notre Dame ends up being a first round draft pick of the Minnesota Vikings, just gets a huge payday still to this day that he just uh, re-upped with. He had no interceptions his senior year at Notre Dame because you threw away from him. You you game planned away from him. I think it's going to be the same thing with Hamilton. I spoke about the corners earlier. I'm fully on board with you with it being Griffith. I I think it's, it's gotta be somebody. And I don't think it's going to be Hamilton for the reason cited. I don't trust the corners to necessarily produce at the level that, uh, that I think anyone, not anyone, I shouldn't say that, that, that we would hope that they play to. I think that they are a weakness when you kind of break down this team. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you that it'll be Griffith. I don't know how many it's going to be. It might be three, but it might be two, but I well, think he gets, two of he gets, two would have done it a year ago. Exactly. So um, but like you said, they just, they're not going to throw at Kyle Hamilton. Teams are just not going to do it. And so I can also see Kyle Hamilton getting into a little bit of pass rushy type stuff. If, you know, Marcus Freeman is, you know, somewhat of the mad hatter that we sort of think he might be. So I think, uh, you know, Griffith will be back there. They're going to put his kind of background as a, as a cornerback a little bit to, to the test. And, and so, um, let me ask you a question to kind of frame this, uh, to frame this okay. hot take. Uh, who do you think leads Notre Dame in sacks uh, this year? Last year was Ade Ogundeji. He had six. I think it'll be north of that. I mean, my guess would be Foskey. I, I look at Foskey, and I think that he is. I know that there's stars on this team that they get talked about. I know we've talked about Kyle Hamilton here. Obviously, the linebacker legacy that's that's being built here at Notre Dame in recent years speaks for itself. I mean, I look at Isaiah Foskey, and I think that that is just a a talent that is ready to not to say that he hasn't shown it at times. I think that 2021 is going to be a coming out party for him. Well, that's a good take, a safe one. Um, but I'm not in the, in the, um, you're not in the safe take zone. You're in the hot take zone. So I don't necessarily know that this guy that I'm going to mention is going to lead Notre Dame in sacks, but I think he has an opportunity to maybe get near that next mark that Ade Ogundeji had last year. And this is a guy that is not a starter. Um, and really it'll sort of depend on, I don't know what Notre Dame sub package looks like. Um, I'm, I'm envisioning what I think it looks like, um, but we'll sort of see. Um, I think that Riley Mills has an opportunity to get in the backfield a lot coming from, you know, more of a rushing up the middle type of, uh, you know, of, of a position. Um, not going to be coming from the edge. He's going to have a one-on-one matchup often. Riley Mills is a guy that I'm pounding the table for. And so really that's kind of the point of this hot take is that I think Riley Mills is going to be really good. I think that, you know, from everything that's been said and written about Riley Mills, um, he's a, for being an interior type defensive lineman, he's got really great pass rush skills. So I think that by the end of the year, you're talking about Riley Mills having, you know, five, five and a half, six sacks by the, by the time that this year is over. 
Um, if that's the case, that's a really good thing for Notre Dame because obviously then that probably means other guys are getting them as well. But he's just a guy that I think he's going to surprise you at the very least to kind of walk it back just a little bit, uh, his sack number. So, yeah. I don't know if you. It's the second time ahead. you brought up Riley Mills there. I mean, you're obviously uh, you're on the Riley Mills train. Got the fan club started off from from one Ben Belton for, for Riley yep. Mills. I, it's. I'll tell you what. I, I don't know if I'll get on board with him being four or five sack guy or six sack guy, whichever it might be. But he's the right place to do it in terms of what Notre Dame's done on their defensive line. I maybe they just it's because they don't have that one guy here in recent years that's been a first day or second round NFL draft pick. But you look at the talent that they've turned out year after year after year under Mike Elston and what they continuously do on the defensive front. And okay. It hasn't shown its head the way you've liked it to against Alabama and in the second Clemson game a year ago or against uh, really against Clemson in the cotton bowl a couple of years ago. But in terms of talent that they turn out that develop and then turn out, really year after year after year here, it's not an outrageous take whatsoever. You look at where, if you were just look at this team, not necessarily just your starting lineup, but you look at the depth chart and you look at where the positions are that you feel more, most comfortable. Okay. Say that you're going to have an injury or two at a certain, any of your, your, your units across this year, where do you think that you're able to survive the most? If you have two or three guys go down, I, defensive line for me is where it's at. I, I think that's where just in the way that they've been able to recruit the position, what you have returning and what you know is at least capable players, capable players there. And also just historically what they've done here in the last few years, three, four years historically on their defensive line, what they've developed year in, year in and year out under Mike Elston. I think that that's, I think it just speaks to the strength of what that unit has become for this Notre Dame team and why it, I look at it this year, and that should absolutely be one of their strengths. I don't know if it's going to be Riley Mills, but that's definitely one of the strong points of this team. All right, and I'm going to frame this last one into into more of a question, more of an over-under type of a situation. Uh, Lorenzo Styles, over or under, let's say 600 total scrimmage yards for the season. Ooh, 600 total scrimmage Would yards. Would be about 50 scrimmage yards per game. I think I've got to go under. I think he'll start relatively slow on that. And I think that number will rise kind of the things that we talked about earlier. Okay. You don't trust really the first string receivers. You don't know who's going to be the emerging star there. Each one has a question mark. Does that allowed more time for Lorenzo styles? A uh, guy that's been on campus since uh, enrolled early in the spring. I look at, I think I have to go under there. But I think that this is the year, kind of like I said there with the touchdown question, I think this is the year that a lot of that talk of freshman receivers not getting the ball, not getting targets, not getting not getting the playing time that, that Brian Kelly and the offensive staff has gotten knocked for here for a couple of years. It was uh, Jordan Johnson last year. Oh, he needs to be on the field, needs to be on the field. Well, we don't know what's necessarily going on behind the scenes. Are there reasons that he's not on the field? What's What goes on at practice that he's not on the field for? There's a lot of things that we don't necessarily see that we're not in the know about that could be reasons for guys not being on the field. And I think that I, I look at this freshman class of receivers and maybe, maybe I'm crazy with this, but I think that they're the ones that were specifically recruited to change that position, change what this offense is going to be. And kind of to your point of Tommy Reese coaching things differently this year, not coaching through a pandemic. You're actually, hey, you're able to work with your players during the offseason, which is a nice, pleasant change versus a year ago. I think that the receivers this year that come in with this class and classes forward are a reflection of that. And I think that it's sooner rather than later that they start to make a difference. I can't quite get as high as 600 yards, though, for Styles. If it was maybe around, I think, 450, 475, somewhere in there is what I put his number at. Is what my, what my guess for, for yardage would be. Because I think it starts slow, but I think by mid-year, he really starts to start to turn things up a bit. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I Like I say, I, I tried to make these tough, and I tried to be warm. They're you know? fun. So, certainly fun. Uh, yeah. I think uh, right around 600, you know, I mean, just to be different than you, I think, you know, I think Lorenzo Styles could get 50 plus a game, especially if, I mean, that's not to say he's going to get 50 plus every game, 
but could he go for 21 week and then a hundred the next week? I, I think that's a possibility. Um, especially if, you know, he gets a lot of playing time in a, in a blowout at the beginning of the year, that type of thing. Also, you know, uh, one thing that, you know, I don't even want to talk about, but I'll just allude to like, he's, you know, they always talk about the the vice presidents a heartbeat away from the presidency. You know, in my opinion, Lorenzo Styles is a heartbeat or a heartbeat and a half, maybe away being like the best receiver at Notre Dame. Um, like I say, I don't know about Kevin Austin, and that's kind of why I picked Lorenzo Styles. He's another guy that, you know, going back to my point earlier about where's the program going and what's the next step for the program. You know, it would tell me a lot about Notre Dame football if Lorenzo Styles had a big year this year. Um, you know, can you finally get some underclassmen that can come on and produce and just, you know, take a really good team and make them a really, really good team. And so, I don't know, that's where I see Lorenzo Styles, you know, maybe filling in for, you know, whatever receiver in an instance where somebody gets nicked up and misses a game or two or, or that type of thing. I think that's really his role this year and that's where he should be. Um, we'll sort of see how much, you know, if, if he's thrust into the position, what, what he can do with it. So, well, that's really all I got. Um, did I miss anything? Anything you wanted I mean, to talk well, about? Well, you could probably talk about this for days on end, and we wouldn't cover everything. But hey, it seems like you touched sure. most of the bases, at least uh, at least from my perspective. So, Give what's your expectation quick. like for for this year? Like, what's your expectation for? It would be disappointing if Notre Dame but accomplish it fails to accomplish what in your eyes? Um, boy, um. Well, I'll say this. This isn't exactly what you asked, but it's along the same line of thinking. Um, I think Notre Dame loses one in the regular season. And I think, frankly, it could be a home game. Uh, hasn't, how many games has it been? I don't remember off the top of my head. Three years or whatever since they've lost a game in South Bend. Um, you know, playing North Carolina scares me. The the fifth game out of, you know, five straight games against teams that to prepare for you. Um, USC scares me a little bit. So, you know, I've said this on podcasts before that I don't necessarily look down the, the schedule and think, Oh, like that team's better than Notre Dame for any team on the schedule. It's just that the way that the schedule plays out, I just don't know that it always is the most favorable and it never is for Notre Dame as much as people want to talk about how Notre Dame is just, you know, a cupcake schedule, but, um, I don't know. I I would be disappointed if um, they lost if they didn't get to and win a note or a, a New Year's Six Bowl. I, I think that's you know that's the I, I think that they can lose and it can be a a really great season as long as that happens. Uh, anything less than that, I'll feel a little bit like man, that's that's not really that's not what I wanted in terms of. You know, if you take a step back and take a 30,000 foot view of the program, um, because they, they just need to win a game in flipping end of December, early January. They just need to do it at some point. That's what I need. Uh, and that's what if it's not this year, I'm going to be disappointed. Yeah, I, I'm along that line of thinking, too. I think that you look at the schedule and I can't tell you a team that's on it that's as tech as talented, if not more talented than Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame is just as talented at every team that they're going to play. And as great as the North Carolina offense is going to be, they have an entire running game that they have to replace in their backfield. Sure, they bring Hell to Notre Dame Stadium. He's going to be, could be the first quarterback taken in next year's draft. That's a week after the Irish play USC and Keita Solvis, who could be the second or third quarterback taken in next year's draft. So it's not that they have... Like you said, this cupcake schedule, they have a lot of NFL talent that they have to play against and have to slow down defensively. I look at it, I don't see the team that is better than Notre Dame, but to your point, I can't go in and just think that as well as Notre Dame has played in recent years, they win the games they, they're supposed to win, they take care of business against the teams they're supposed to take care of, even if it's not the prettiest of ways in order to get it done. I think it's unfair to go into the expectation of like, yep, well, that means they're going to go 12 and out. I think realistically, you look at this, the offensive line, I know we spoke of earlier and how nice it is of, okay, you don't have to start two freshmen and the big deal that that part is. Well, you get your test at the end of September with Wisconsin in terms of a, of a big 10 team being built like Notre Dame. That's about as close to a mirror image as you're going to get in terms of the physicality that they bring kind of what they try to do 
offensively. That's not a, an exact mirror image, but there's a lot of similarities there, at least in terms of the way that the, the, the styles are built and the, the, what the mission is in terms of being built. Is Notre Dame going to be ready for that? I think that game holds the hey, holds the cards to a lot of the way the rest of the season is going to play out because that's going to tell you a ton. Notre Dame's ready for that game, and they they come out and are able to physically dominate, not necessarily dominate, but but hold their own and control the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Then there's no reason for me to think that this team can't go 12 and 0, but they're unable to do it in that game or have struggles in that game. I think it could set up for a year of not the bottom falling out, but could raise some questions, especially with, with that stretch. Cause Wisconsin's really just the first in, in a six week stretch. There are some real tough contests for this team that it could be a, all right, well, 10 to two, nine and three type of thing. I think that I go into it with the expectation of minimum 10 wins in the regular season, get to a new year, six bowl. And heck, if you're playing in a new year, six bowl, you might as well go and win a new year, six bowl because it's been forever since that's happened. So, yeah, I think that that's a the very, very fair expectation to have, whether it means a 10-win or 11-win regular season. Either one of those, I think, means that you're playing in a New Year's Six Bowl, and if you're going to one, it's about time you win one of these things because 1993 was a damn long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, I should have done this at the top of the show. Tell the listeners where they can uh, they can find you, find your work, and and all of that type of stuff. And really, just tell me because I know you've been <laughs> a bunch of different places, but I lose track. So that's that's what I am. I'm the man of many hats and personalities. You can find all of my work fightingirishwire.com. It's part of the USA Today's family of College Wire sites. Um, you can follow me on Twitter just at my name at Nick Shepkowski, S H E P K O W S K I. And uh, I try to tweet out as many things that I am a part of there as well. Good stuff. Listeners, if you stuck with us this long, uh, thank you so much. Uh, we hope you come back. Go to uh, iTunes, Google Play, all of those places. Leave us a review. Tell your friends. We like to try to grow this thing. So uh, thanks for listening. And as always, go Irish. Go Irish.